Awesome. Go ahead and take your seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, would you please turn to Matthew chapter 25? We're going to be there in just a minute. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, I want to introduce myself real quick. My name is Micah Barclay. I'm the associate pastor here at Rev City Church. Um, I'm in charge. Woo, I got a woo over here, someone. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm in charge of youth ministry, mercy ministry, local outreach, facilities, and anything Pastor Eddie doesn't want to do. And so uh, I'm really happy to be here this morning, really am. Uh, Welcome to everyone watching online. We're glad you're here as well. And hey, real quick, before we dive into today's message, I just want to share a quick update about our spring break prayer and fast and retreat that we take every year. If you guys don't know, again, I lead the youth ministry, and for many years, I think it's over like 20 over 20 years, I don't even know how many, uh, we take students on a prayer and fasting retreat over spring break, which I think is pretty amazing because I think most students want to you know, go to Florida or go on a ski trip, and we have students coming up to me saying, are we doing the prayer and fasting retreat? And I'm like, yeah, we are. Come on, man. That's like the best time of the year. It's absolutely their favorite event. And I just would encourage you guys, would you do three things for us? One, the most importantly, we need your prayer. Truly, would you be praying for us? We leave a week from tomorrow. Would you pray for the leadership team that we're taking down there, uh, that you would just give us mercy and grace as we just minister in God's wisdom? Would you pray for the students that they would have receptive hearts? Because who knows, only God can change a man's heart, which, by the way, you got a new job. That was an awesome offering teaching. Uh, So only God can change a man's heart. Come on, you can give it up for him. That was good stuff. So please be praying. Secondly, please, uh, would you just ask your student, if you have a student 6th through 12th grade, uh, say, hey, would you like to come? We still have slots available. Um, I encourage you guys, it is a life-changing experience, because who knows, when you meet Jesus, that is a life-changing experience, amen? And, uh, you know, I know it's kind of hard, especially for 6th and 7th graders, oftentimes that's the first moment they get a chance to pray and fast in, in that type of setting. And don't get me wrong, we have a ton of fun. We do different games and activities. We're out in the country and doing all these fun things, but we go there to get close to God, and every single year, we do it. And then finally, um, if you guys desire to sponsor a child financially, I would be absolutely thrilled with it. Each year, we do our best to try to make this as cost-effective as possible. This year, it's about $110 per student to take them, but we offer scholarships for any student that wouldn't be able to go on this trip uh, normally because we do not want finances to be a reason why they don't get to experience God's presence. And just a quick testimony, I remember 17 years ago, coming to this church for the first time, and I was youth group age, and I remember uh, there was three of us in the age of youth group, and just hearing about this retreat, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's honestly a lot of money. I get it. For three kids, that can be a lot of money, and I was like, I probably just won't go, but then three people from the church stepped up and said, we want to sponsor you and your family to go on this retreat, so on, on a scholarship, I went and and experienced God for the first time, and I mean it like I experienced God, and I learned how to hear his voice, and I remember on the last day, I was just praying and, and, and thinking, and I just thought to myself, if this is the type of relationship I can have with God, if this is the type of intimacy I get to have with God, I never want it to stop. I want today to be the standard of the type of relationship I have with God going forward. And that moment really just marked my life. It was like the moment, I was a sophomore in high school, and that was the moment I went home. The next day, I got up and started reading my Bible on my own. I got up and started praying on my own. I got up and started worshiping on my own. My life has never been the same. So please, I just encourage you. Yeah, honestly, it it marked my life. 
has marked my life. So I encourage you, if you have a student, 6th through 12th grade, encourage them to come. Please pray for us. We need it. Um, so that's, a, uh, that's it. So here we go. We're going to dive into today's message, and we're still in the sermon series, The Greatest of These. And uh, we've been talking about love and how the greatest thing that we can learn how to do as men of God, as women of God, is learn how to love. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor T's messages on this, I encourage you to do so. They are fire. They are awesome. They're super good. And today we're going to continue to talk about love. I want to put a little twist on it this morning, and it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Even when I was studying this, I'm like, man, I just don't know if I really like this, but today I want to talk to you about being the bride of Christ. Got really quiet in here, right? So I want to talk to you about being the bride of Christ, and I get it. Some people are just like, man, that's me. This is easy. I love thinking of myself that way. Others in here, maybe some of you guys like me, it's just kind of hard to think of yourself that way. I mean, if you're like me, I like to think of myself as my woman's champion, her hero. And in fact, just the other day, actually it was a few weeks ago, um, Adrian called me in the afternoon. I was working, and she goes, I just, I'm having a rough day. Like, I have zero strength to even cook dinner tonight. I don't even know what to do. And I was like, oh, honey, like, please, I'll bring, I'll pick up dinner and bring it home after work. And she's like, you would do that? I'm like, of course. So I bring home dinner, and I'm feeling really good. I set it down on the table. The kids just, like, you know, pounce on it because they're starving. And she just looks at me and goes, Micah, you're my hero. Thank you. And I'm just like, that's right. (laughs) That's right. I am your hero, and don't you forget it. No, really, tonight, don't you forget it, you know? Like, that's how I want to be. I want to be her hero. I want to be her champion. But it's hard. Like, it's just not always the first thing that I think about being the bride of Christ, right? I want to be the hero, not the bride. So there's lots of different reasons why this would be challenging. But believe me, I believe one of the biggest reasons that this can be challenging for us today is I believe there is an attack on men and women's gender's roles and sexual identity from our culture today. It is absolutely evident. We can just see it. In fact, I was just watching this video that talked about how in Europe there's a gender dysphoria clinic actually treating three to ten-year-olds. Can you imagine a three-year-old going to something like that? And here in the United States, we're about to have an assistant secretary of health that believes this is a good thing and who's trying to pass laws here in America that would allow the exact same things without parental consent. And listen to me, okay? I am not attacking those precious kids. If anything, I have compassion on them. Like, it has to start with compassion. That's, that's terrible. But unfortunately, they are being raised in a culture that tries to hide their God-given sexual identity and purpose in their life. But I believe we as a church have the opportunity not to attack the person, but oppose the spirit that is so heavy-handed in our culture today and stand up and say, no, we believe in the word of God. We believe in what he says about our identity found in him, and we will not be silent. We have that ability. In fact, I just want to read to you guys 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13, and it says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And if you're following along and if you're reading your Bibles, you might notice something. Most translations today don't actually add the word man in there. They'll say things like, when I grew up or when I matured 
or when I became an adult. And I get why they do that because obviously this is speaking to both men and women here. Like the greatest of these is love regardless if you're a man or a woman. But man, I want to speak something over your lives today. If you actually look at the original uh, Greek there, the word that Paul uses is anir, which means man. So I want you to think about this. What Paul is saying is, when I was a child, yeah, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I even reasoned like a child. But when I grew up and became a man, I realized there was three most important things in this life. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest thing that I can do as a man of God is learn how to love. That's what Paul is saying there. So these viewpoints, you can be the spiritual leader of your home, be the macho man, do all those things, and you could still know the greatest thing that you can learn how to do as a man of God is how to love. Those are not in opposition with each other. They work together, amen? So would you just allow me to pray over today's message? Would you just receive it? I know this can be challenging. It was challenging for me. But I truly believe God has something to share with each and every one of us today. So let's just turn our hearts to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're already doing in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Would you begin to speak to our hearts even now? Lord, teach us to receive and give your love today. May we have compassion on our culture when it misses the mark. Would you help us break off any lies that we believe about love, anything that is contrary to your word? Help us grow in love as men and women of faith. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. amen, amen. All right, so like I said, we're talking about love. And so the title of today's message is Help, I'm in Love. Help, I'm in Love. Turn to your neighbor and say, Help, I'm in Love. Okay, just a word of caution. I think I might hear some laughter over here. You better have turned to your spouse first if you said that, okay? <laughs> And, and if you're single and you're sitting next to each other, all I can say is, you're welcome. You can thank me after service. I'll be over there. I made it really easy for you. <clears throat> no, really, think about it. When help, I'm, we're in love, well, you, you will do crazy things when you're in love. I, I certainly have in my life because I have been in love. And I believe we have to learn how to take these steps. There's these steps that we can take as men and women of faith to draw closer to God and really begin to see ourselves as the bride of Christ. It might be challenging, but I believe there's three steps. And the first steps I want to share with you is that we have to learn how to get over ourselves. You're probably thinking, what do you mean we have to learn how to get over ourselves? This is what I mean. We have to learn how to get over our pride, our embarrassment, our fear and anxiety and the worry that we all feel when we think about how other people view us because we're in love, right? We just gotta get over it, who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, I remember in my own life, uh, if you know Adrian and I, we're about to celebrate our 12, 12th year of marriage in June, and, uh, but we were high school sweethearts. And so even in high school, we had dated some other people, but by my senior year, we were both single, and it was just obvious, like disgustingly obvious that we liked each other. I'm sure all of our friends were just like, oh, you know, whatever. But it was really, really hard for me to share how I felt to her. Like, I just struggled. It was really hard. And so, like, I was like, man, Mike, I just got to find the time. I got to find the courage, you know, be a man and just tell her. But it was really hard. And I remember one time, I think it was after a youth worship practice because we were both on the youth worship team. Adrian was like, hey, my parents can't bring me home. Can anyone take me home after practice? And immediately I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's me. I got you. <clears throat> yeah, I got a car. Got an 89 Buick. That's me. And so, um, you know, I, so I was really excited. I'm like, this is my chance. We're finally alone. I can, I can talk to her. I can share with her. And so we're driving in the car. But man, I just start sweating. I'm, I, can't, I can't say anything. I'm babbling over my words. And I'm sure it's just embarrassing, right? 
And finally, like, I'm going to miss my opportunity. We're about to get home, and I'm just like, or drop her off to her house. I'm like, this is, this is the end. And I just think, okay, just got to say it. And so I go, Adrian, you know, I, I've been meaning to tell you something. She's like, yes. And I'm like, well, you know, I, um, well, you see, <clears throat> Oh, what I'm trying to say is, uh, and as I'm trying to say it, I look over to my left and I see this car pulling out of the Ace Hardware parking lot. And I'm like, well, honey, oh, I didn't honey. That's how I call her now. <laughs> didn't say that then. Like, you know, I just, um, I think, I, th- I think this car's going to hit us. And oh, boom, all of a sudden this car T-bones the side of my car. And I'm just like, oh, man, you know, I'm kind of freaking out because I, I was young and it was my first accident. And she immediately called her dad. It was like, hey, we were just in this accident. He goes, well, where are you at? And she goes, we're on the corner of Six and Castle. He goes, well, I'm at the corner of Six and Castle. He goes, oh, I see you. I'm just in a different turn lane. So he was like over at our car in a matter of like seconds. And I'm just thinking, Lord, like, thank you that I didn't die in this car accident. But why am I going to be murdered by the hands of this man? Because I was just in this car accident with this baby girl, right? Um, but if you know Pastor Peter, he came and he was just so calm and was like, hey, Micah, I totally see this was not your fault, but uh, I am going to take Adrian home now. And I was like, yes, please, you know, take her. And so I, I de- dealt with all that. And then I'm home just kind of feeling sad about it. And all of a sudden uh, the landline rings and my mom goes, hey, Adrian's on the phone for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, and so I pick up the phone, and she was like, hey, I just felt like our conversation got cut short, and I was just like, oh, man, I couldn't do it in the car. I'm not about to do it in front of my mom, and like, this is, this is not good. This is not good, but, you know, thank God for Adrian, because she goes, what I think you were trying to say is, I really like you, and you really like me, and we should just date, and I said, thank God. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say, right? Thank you, Jesus. 12 years later, four kids, man, we, we, we love each other. We're, we're crazy for each other. But as I was thinking about that, why is that, why was that so hard? I was thinking about that story. I'm like, why was that so hard just for me to say, I like you? Like, can we go to the movies or whatever, right? Why was that so hard? And as I thought about it, it's because I was afraid of being rejected. I knew how I felt, but what if, I mean, I was pretty sure, but what if she didn't feel the same way about me? And it's unfortunate because we do this with God all of the time literally all the time. We think because of something we've done in our past, a past mistake or things that we've said, and we're just like, I, I know how I, I want to feel about God, but does God really feel the same way about me? And this is what uh, Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves, come on, everyone say proves. But God proves his love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. He proved his love. He did not wait for us to get our act together. He proved his love first by sending his son to die for us. All we have to do is get over ourselves. So turn to your neighbor. Come on, say, get over yourself. See, I tricked you because you definitely should not have turned to your spouse and said, get over yourself. I keep you on your toes, okay? But it's true, we, we got to learn how to get over ourselves, our fear, our embarrassment, our pride. Those are things we just have to do. And I think most of you guys are sitting here thinking, yeah, that, okay, that makes sense. I can get over myself. But you're thinking, but does God really call us the bride of Christ? Is that something that God really says about us in his word? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I want to share some scriptures with you and it answers that question. So Ephesians 531 verse 32 says this, therefore, A man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and listen, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
What Paul is saying here is the same profound mystery of how a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife is the same profound mystery of how, how Christ loves the church, which is you and me. It's absolutely astounding. 2 Corinthians 11:2 says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Think about this. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth here, and he's saying, I have ministered to you. I have labored for you. I started this church, and the one thing I want to do most as a minister of the gospel is present you as a pure, spotless bride towards Christ. It was his highest goal. And then finally, in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And again, think what this is saying. Think about the way God showed his love for us and the way we're supposed to show our love to him. The chosen analogy that the Holy Spirit gives here is that of a husband and a wife. We are the bride of Christ. It's not only a New Testament, it's not just a New Testament thought or ideology, it's all throughout the Old Testament as well. I could have shared dozens of examples, but I want to share my favorite. It's Isaiah 54, 5, which says this. For your creator, your husband, the Lord of heaven's armies is his name, is your redeemer. Come on, say redeemer. redeemer. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. And I love the word redeemer because... If, we are, if God is our redeemer, that makes us his redeemed. And it's not a word that we typically use in today's society. We might say, hey, we redeemed a coupon and saved two bucks, right? But the word here is so much more powerful than that. In fact, if you look at it, it's the word ge'al, which means to buy back. I bought back. So what did God do? He calls us his bride because he bought us back. What did he buy us back from? He bought us back from your life of sin. He bought us back from our life of shame. He bought us back from our life of ungodliness. And all we have to do is get over ourselves and come to him because he's already proven his love. He's already proven his love. So I'm telling you, we have to get over ourselves and come to God. The second thing that I believe we have to do is make ourselves ready for Christ's return. We have to make ourselves ready. Well, what do you mean by that? And I really want to be clear about this because you don't and you can't earn God's love. Do you realize that? God is love. It's not something he just does. It's who he is. It's his nature, right? So when I'm saying make yourself ready, I'm not saying get all your stuff together and then come to God. That is the biggest mistake we make as just the people of God, right? And just people in the world where we think, all right, yeah, I'll come to God. When I stop sinning, I'm going to get my butt back into church. I say, no, get your butt back into church because that's the only way God's going to get a hold of your life, right? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today or watching online, and I appreciate that. But I think we've all struggled this with before. Like, does God really want to meet with me? Does God really want that type of relationship with me? Would he really have died just to save me? And the answer is yes to all the above. And that's just the fact. But you still might be asking yourself, how do I make myself ready? What do you mean by that? Revelations 19, 7 through 9 says this. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Listen. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There's a lot of things I could pull out from that scripture, but I just want to highlight something really important. And it's this, if an angel came to you and said, hey, these words are the very true words of God. They're very important. Write them down. I would suggest paying attention, writing them down, and taking them to heart. And what does the angel say? He says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I love the line that says, and the bride made herself ready. Have you ever seen a bride make herself ready before? Right? In, in the physical world, have you ever done that? It's actually something really like crazy uh, if you get a chance to see it. I have the privilege of being a pastor, so I get to officiate weddings, and I also come from a big family, so I've been in a lot of weddings, and there's something just really neat where, you know, you see a bride come in, and she's just in like normal clothes, right? Uh, but she might be carrying a white dress, but then she goes into this room, and all of her bridesmaids go in there at once, and it looks like they're about to go to war, right? I mean, they literally have like hairspray strap, like like all the way down this belt with like hair dryer, curling iron, bobby pins, clips, like all these things. And you're like, whoo, what's going on in there? And all of a sudden, it could be an hour or two later, finally, this bride comes out. And she's just spotless, right? She just has this beautiful white dress and she has this veil on and her hair's all done. And you just think like, wow. And I remember asking Adrian, like, what were you thinking as you were, you know, getting ready? Because us guys, we can get ready in like two minutes. So I was already playing video games as I'm like waiting for her to get, you know, out there. What were you thinking getting ready? And she goes, all I could think of is what will Micah think when he sees me? What will Micah think when he sees me start to walk down that aisle? It makes sense in the physical world. We understand that as a bride, she wants to make herself ready. But how do we begin to do that in a spiritual, in a spiritual way? Well, I believe Jesus gives us that answer in a parable found in Matthew 25. I told you to turn there, and it's verses 1 through 13. And Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the five who were wise, wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Listen. Then those who were ready, then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Again, there is so much that I could pull from this, but for the sake of time, I just want to highlight a few things. We must understand something here. There's 10 bridesmaids all desiring the same thing. They all want to be with the groom, right? It's not like five wanted to be and five didn't want to be. So I do not believe this story is about the general public. I believe this is talking about people who are seeking after God. 
They're saying, I want to be close with God. Five were wise enough and five were not. What did these five do to make themselves ready and available for the bridegroom's return? It's interesting. We see something here about the Holy Spirit again, and it's this idea of oil. And maybe you don't know this, but oil actually represents the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture. And you see it in the Old Testament where you might anoint a utensil with oil, and it's used in the temple for holy use. Or maybe you anoint a king or a prophet with oil, and the Spirit of God uh, rests upon that person from that moment on. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you this question. What was the difference? What was the separation between these five that were foolish and these five that were wise? The five that were wise took along extra oil for their journey, which I truly believe means that we need to stay connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to stay alive. We have to stay passionate. We have to stay connected if we want to be ready for Christ's return. So let me just ask you a simple question. Are you seeking the Holy Spirit today just enough to get through your problems, or are you pursuing his presence so you can be ready for Christ's return? Are you seeking God's presence just enough to be like, man, that makes me feel good. I love going to church. I love singing that song. This is my testimony. That's right. Uh, you know. Or are you really seeking God's presence? And you're saying, God, you are my living hope. Without you, I have no hope. I need you. Not just to get through your problems, but to say, because I'm madly in love with you. And I'm telling you, it's unfortunate. We make following God way too hard on ourselves. We, we tend to think it's about rules, laws, and regulations, do's and don'ts. And I'm telling you, that's what my life was bogged down with. My parents did an amazing job teaching me the scriptures. But eventually I was just like, I, I mean, come on, they're teenage, I was a teenager. I was like, I don't want to follow rules. That's not, rules are not fun. Rules are not fun to try to follow but when I went on that retreat, all of a sudden I realized, oh, Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship. And when, I, when it became about a relationship, all of a sudden you couldn't get me out of the Bible. I read it front to cover several times in high school. I mean, I literally just like, where it was difficult, and I would fall asleep trying to read it on my own. And then I was like, I couldn't get enough of it. All of a sudden it was just like so easy. So don't make this hard on yourselves. It's as easy as just opening up the word of God and then applying it to our lives. It's, it's listening to worship music and just saying, God, be honored. It's not just about me. It's all about you. Like Just like that song that we sang this morning. It's all about you. It's always been about him. It's not about us. It's about showering love on him. It's about just spending time in prayer, not just praying over our food, but actually praying because you want to talk to the God, right? I'm trying to teach my kids that. They're like, well, let's pray over our food. I'm like, that's good, but it's like, hey, let's pray before we play this game or let's pray before we, we do this. And, you know, it's funny. I uh, was playing with Lydia the other day and we were playing doctor and she was like, um, hey, taking my temperature and doing all this stuff. And she's like, I don't know, you might need a shot. I'm like, oh, really? Do I, you think I need a shot? And she goes, yeah, but let me go consult the high priest. <laughs> uh, and she came back and she gave me a shot, I guess. I don't know. So your kids' ministry is doing a great job, but I just thought it was funny, right? And so I encourage you, like, man, this is this, we cannot make this hard. God's supposed to be a part of all of our lives. We cannot make this hard of ourselves, but we have to be willing to make ourselves ready and available. But we do that by staying connected to the Holy Spirit. It's by staying connected in the simplest of ways, praying, worshiping. I truly am, I say this, and I don't mean it, like, in a way to, like, try to 
say anything other than I'm a very simple guy. When I read scripture, I'm just saying like, God, what are you trying to speak into my life right now? And I'm telling you, you can make such a difference if you say, today I'm making a commitment to read my Bible, to come to church, to serve, to just worship and just develop that intimate relationship with the Lord. Watch it change your life. It certainly did mine. Then finally, the last thing I believe we have to do to have this type of relationship, that one that's truly based in covenant, one that we can really begin to see ourselves as the bride of Christ, is we have to say yes to the covenant that God has prepared for us. You have to be willing to say yes. And that makes sense, right? We know in the physical world, a bride can't be a bride until she says yes. And we have the same opportunities to say yes to Christ. And one of the biggest areas, spots in the Bible that I think we miss this is when Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. In fact, the disciples did not call this communion, and they didn't call this the Last Supper because they didn't know this was going to be the Last Supper with Jesus, right? They were celebrating the Passover, and if you don't know about it, it's in the book of Exodus. It's, a, it's an amazing story of how Jesus rescued Israel from Egypt, right, and their slavery. But traditionally, in this uh, ceremony of Passover, there was four cups that were, that were used. The first cup was called the cup of sanctification, which translated means, I will bring you out. It's where God declares, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup was the cup of deliverance, where God declares, I will deliver, or I will deliver you from the Egyptians' bondage. And then the third cup was the cup of redemption, which God declares, I will redeem. Remember what redeem means, I will buy you back. Where God declares, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And finally, the cup of praise, which actually is translated the cup of take, where God declares, I will take you as my people. Four of these cups were used. Interesting enough, the third cup, the cup of redemption, was typically set off to the side because the Jews obviously realized that uh, the cup uh, of redemption, the time of redemption, truly had not yet come, right? In fact, I mean, they were still under bondage, uh, Roman occupation, right? They realized the time where God's law uh, was going to be written on their hearts and the Messiah had not come yet. So they would take it. They would recognize a time of redemption will come, but it hasn't come yet. And they would set it off to the side. And what most scholars believe is when Jesus got to that third cup, the cup that he normally would just set off to the side, Jesus took that cup and said, this is my covenant with you. Will you take and drink? And this is significant for two reasons. The first one is because what they actually heard him say is, I'm the Messiah. He's saying, this is a clear point where Jesus says, the time of redemption, the time of salvation has come. This is the covenant that I'm establishing with you right now. So if you ever wonder, did Jesus ever really call himself the Messiah? He certainly did. And this is one of the clearest ways. He says, it is time. It's, not, it's, it's time. We're not going to set it off. I am this, I'm establishing this covenant. I am the Messiah. The second thing the disciples heard was, will you marry me? And you're probably thinking, like, what are you talking about? He's not talking about marriage at all. But there was this really fascinating uh, tradition in the time of Jesus. And I've, I've shared this with you before, but I believe it's worth repeating because it's just so powerful imagery when, as we're talking about being the bride of Christ. And uh, so what would happen is when a man was really in love, come on, right? Like, help, Dad. Like, I'm in love. When he was really in love, he would go to his dad and say, Dad, I found someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. 
Uh, we, you know, what can you do? Well, how can you help me? And then the dad would go and pay a price. He'd go and pay a dowry for this young lady. And before you're like, oh, that's so barbaric. You can't buy love. You can't buy a woman's like, listen, it didn't buy the woman. What it did was buy a chance for this young man to express his love. That's all it did. The father would pay a price and it would provide a chance for this young man to express his love. And oftentimes what would happen is they would sit around this table and on one side you would have this young man and then on the other side this young woman and you would have members from both sides of the family. So you're talking about nerves, like I couldn't even do it like on the phone or, or in a person. They're gonna do it in front of family members, right? And what would happen is a cup of wine would be poured and this young man would just confess his love towards this woman and he would declare, this is how I feel about you. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. All these things and to say, so will you marry me. This is my covenant with you. Will you marry me? And honestly, that woman had a choice right then and there. She could say no, or she could say yes. If she said yes, something truly amazing happened. They would immediately be separated from each other. If they lived in different towns, they'd stay in different towns. If they even lived in the same town, they weren't allowed to see each other. In fact, the only way they could communicate back and forth with each other is through the groom's best man, right? So this guy would go back and forth with these little love notes. And for as long as it took, they'd write these little notes back and forth with each other, like, I love you more. No, I love you more. I love you more. And it would be this like, great anticipation, and they would get to know each other more and better and better and better. But this young woman would go off to her home and do what she had done before, but something amazing happened. Instead of people calling her by her name, people would call her or refer to her as one who has been bought with a price. One who has been bought with a price because someone paid a price for her. Think about what we talked about earlier, being redeemed, to buy back, to pay a price. And then over here, you have this young man, and he, his job was to build a suitable home for this young woman. And so every day, she, he would just build and build and build and build and keep working on it, keep working on it. And he did not know the day or the hour. Only the father knew when he would finally say, yes, that is complete. Uh, interestingly enough, this house was often built either an adjacent to or maybe even an upper room to his childhood home. And so that means, ladies, if you were engaged to this young man, you would be living with your in-laws, right? So I, I'm just, I mean, get, get this, get this here. Day after day, he's in his home and he's working and he's working and he doesn't know, like, dad, is it done? He's like, nope, it's not done. He just keeps working, adding all these little details and finally, the father would say, well done, son, well done. Go and get your bride. And then that young man would go with his groomsmen and the groomsmen would go before him shouting and blowing trumpets and he would walk down the street declaring his love for his bride. And all of a sudden over here, you have this young woman who hears the sound of the trumpet blast and the singing and the tambourines and the dancing. And she goes, my bride, my bridegroom has come. My groom has come. And they'd walk out and they'd go get married. And you might be saying, yeah, that's, that's a really fascinating tradition. But I hope you see the spiritual implications of what Jesus is really saying here. Because what Jesus is saying is this is my covenant, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of salvation. Will you drink it? Will you marry me? But listen, I'm going away for a little while. 
I, I don't even know when I'm coming back, but don't worry, I'm gonna send my best man, the Holy Spirit, through whom we are still gonna be able to communicate with each other, through whom we're still gonna be able to pass love notes back and forth to each other because I'm madly in love with you and I know you're madly in love with me. He would go, and Jesus said very clearly, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And he also said very clearly, he does not know the day or the hour of his return, but the Father knows. And Jesus is standing right now preparing a place for you and me, his covenant, his bride. And he's just saying, is today the day? No. Is today the day? No. And he just keeps working and keeps working. And one day, God the Father is going to say, son, the house is ready. Go and get your bride, the church. And Jesus is going to come back with his angels with the sound of a trumpet blast and return for you and me, our the covenant church. All we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is say yes to the covenant that God has prepared for you and for me. Revelations 22, 17 says this, the spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears this say come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. So today I wanna give you guys an opportunity anyone in here today that you're just hearing this and maybe it's hard maybe it's difficult maybe because of your past sins mistakes you're just like oh this is hard I don't want to see myself this way but deep down inside your desire you have a God-sized hole in your heart that says but I want that type of relationship with the Lord if you're here today and you say I want to receive that I want to receive that covenant I want to say yes would you just raise your hand so we know who to pray for I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. If you're watching online today, I, I hope you know this is for you as well. Whether you're with people by yourself, just raise your hand. This is a moment between you and God. And he sees you, even if we can't see you. It's a moment where we can just lay down our pride, our fears, our insecurities, our past mistakes and say, I can really come, me, I'm the one. You know, it's significant because think about this. Jesus is offering this cup, offering, says, this is my covenant with you. And guess who is in that group? Judas, the one that would betray him. And Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed by Judas, and he still offered the cup. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him three times to a little girl and still offered him the cup. I'm telling you, do not count yourself out. You can receive the same transformation power through the power of the Holy Spirit right now and establish that covenant. All you have to do is say yes. Is there anyone else here today that wants to say yes to that transformational power and say yes to that covenant? Amen. Thank you. I see that hand back there. Thank you, God. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Would you just stand to your feet, church, this morning? And I want to lead us in a time of prayer. There's a time of recognition that God really has called us up to the bride of Christ. And whether you raise your hand or not, I encourage you, would you please pray this prayer with me? And we do this for a couple of reasons. One, it's because, man, we want to support our brothers and sisters who just made that commitment. We want to show you, like, we are right here walking right beside you. The second reason we do it is because we realize we never graduate from grace. And we need to be reminded of our covenant vows that we've made with God. So right where you're at, would you just close your eyes, bow your hearts, and pray this prayer after me, everyone in this room. Father, I recognize my need for a Savior. 
I am a sinner in need of grace. I believe you sent Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to take away my sins, to wash me clean and make me the purest spotless bride of Christ. Help me stay ready for your coming and fill me with your spirit. Make me ready for my champion's return. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give God praise this morning for every single one of you who made that decision? You will not regret it. You will not regret that decision. And now, before we close in a time of worship, I just want to lead you guys in a time of communion. And right there in the seat backs in front of you, you'll see a little container that looks like this. And if you peel, just go ahead and grab one of those. If you peel back that first layer, you will receive this wafer, which represents the body of Christ, which Jesus says is broken, is given for you. This is my covenant with you. He's given his body. Let's take this and remember that covenant vow, that simple prayer we just prayed. Let's just take this and remember it. Father, we recognize that you gave your son to die on a cross, who sacrificed his body for us. We take this and remember that sacrifice, and we, we receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. Take and eat. If you peel back a little farther, it will reveal the juice which represents the blood of Christ, which the Bible says represents the forgiveness of sins. And as we take this, let's remember that Jesus poured out his blood. Someone did pay the price. You have been bought with the price, and it's been, and it is the very blood of Jesus Christ. That's how much you're worth. That's how much he loves you. That's the covenant that we get to celebrate today. So Father, we thank you. We remember your sacrifice, and we re receive this with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can just take this and put it back in the seat backs in front of you, or if you're in the front, you can put it there. And now, I just want to close with a time of worship. Can we just worship our Heavenly Father, our God and King, our Savior, our Redeemer, and worship Him from this new perspective, amen? Amen.